Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion to our Cracked Racket shows. Of course, you may remember him best as a standout player at the University of Notre Dame. Of course, now we know him as the head coach of the North Carolina women's tennis team. Welcome back to the show, Coach Brian Calvis. Coach, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks. Thanks, Alex, for having me back. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure to have you. I don't think we've explored your Notre Dame success uh, enough uh, on this podcast when we've had you. You helped lead the team to a first top 20 ranking, and obviously your team experienced some success beyond that as well. I imagine that's a formative experience, right? That sort of thing is what keeps gravitating you towards college tennis after all these years. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I had a... uh interesting four-year career uh, you know I, I was recruited by Tom Fallon uh, who retired after my sophomore year and then Bobby Bayless came in and the whole program changed Bobby um, was was such a dam- dynamic coach he um, went in one of his claim to fame was he was undefeated uh, coaching Navy against Army in tennis and squash he was 15 and 0 um, in uh, in those you know robbery uh, matches but um when he came in we brought uh, he, he brought an incredible uh, coaching resume to to our program. My junior year, we, we had a brand new indoor facility being built, uh, and then we had a new athletic director in place. So everything was changing for the good. Um, and so I saw the kind of the transformation of the program. And a good friend of mine at the time was two years younger than me. Um, Bo- uh, Bobby was recruiting him, 
And I convinced him also to take a visit. His name was David DeLucia, and he was the number one player in the nation at the time. Um, and so he, you know, he came, I hosted him. And my senior year, David ended up committing to uh, be a freshman. So my first three years at, at Notre Dame, I played number one. And then when David came in, David uh, supplanted me in that position, rightfully so. Um, <laughs> but uh, my senior year, I had my best year because Bobby really got the most out of my game. I actually had my, you know, my best win. I beat Todd Martin my senior year. And so, um, definitely, uh, a great, um, uh, a great, you know, career in, in that sense. But the other thing what happened to me, my senior year, because David committed so many top players were interested in Notre Dame. And I, I tell this to recruits, I actually hosted 67 recruits that year. <laughs> and of those recruits, 11 of those guys ranked in the top 100 came to Notre Dame. And um, so mainly because they want to be part of, you know, this this new building process that we had going to Notre Dame. So my coach, Bobby, we never had an assistant position open. So he then offered the uh, the new first time assistant position to me. Um, so, you know, I, I felt like this was something I saw the building blocks going and it was just exciting for me to to then coach these 11 guys and coach David. And and then my third year of coaching at Notre Dame, we got to the NCAA finals. So that was a just a good run that we had and and cannot thank uh, David and obviously most most importantly Bobby for giving me the platform to be in coaching I would you know I you know he uh, and he's the reason why I got a, the, the the head coaching job at William Mary because Bobby told the AD at William Mary that I was the best person for the job and you know I was really young never coached females before so I really didn't know what I was doing but Bobby had a lot of faith and belief in me and and basically told the AD he you know he needed to hire me so uh, I owe my whole career basically to Bobby and, and what he's meant for me and, uh, and, and, and just understanding how, how I need to be a good coach, but also how to, to relate to players and develop players. Cause he was, Bobby was definitely the best developer of talent of anybody that I've ever been around. So uh, I just need to thank him for that. Yeah. And so, you know, again, a couple of things I want to follow up on there and, you know, again, I want to go to the 92 season quickly because you talk about Dave DeLucia, who I think has all of the records at Notre Dame. Just I think he's the all-time career singles leader. I think he's the all-time total wins leader as well. But you're an assistant on that 92 team. And that 92 team ends up making a run to the NCAA championship. And I'm curious, you know, again, if you could go back and recoach any match from your coaching career, I'm sure there are a bunch on that list NCAA quarterfinals, 5-4 over Georgia. What do you remember about that match? I remember very vividly, you know, back then, you know, we played um, uh, we played singles uh, first. And, um, and back then, I remember very vividly um, going into doubles at Georgia, the crowd. I mean, they had a full packed crowd. Um, I remember our coach, Bobby, telling the team, you know, going into doubles, say, do not look at the crowd, do not, uh, do not say anything to the crowd, and just, you know, just, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna get on you, they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, egg you on. Just don't, don't initiate anything. Uh, we were match was, I, it was obviously coming down to number two doubles with uh, Will Forsyth and Andy Zerker, and I remember. Uh, Andy is Andy is, is such an amazing, talented player. Um, walked on, and you know, but now Aaron the scholarship ended up being you know another assistant coach in Bobby's you know you know career, but also was an NCAA semifinalist. Um, 
and he was playing, they were playing two doubles. And I remember um, him kind of in a crucial moment, we had momentum in a crucial moment. He kind of like did something kind of, I think he was just kind of whining to the crowd and did, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, you know, Bobby just went over and just started, you know, just screaming at him. Okay. <laughs> and he went, yeah. And just you know, and, and, and the umpire is like, Hey, you can't, you can't coach, you know, you know, on the court. And, um, and Bobby's like, I'm not coaching. I'm yelling at him. And, um, so, but the whole, the whole dynamic of the match changed to, you know, to the point where we had control and, and Andy just got emotional. He's a very emotional guy. And then all the crowd, all, all of a sudden the crowd just started kind of like whining, crying every time, you know, Andy, you know, would kind of look a certain way and Andy started getting kind of in, in, in more of a shell. And we ended up winning in two tiebreakers. And I just remember it being very, very tense and traumatic uh, with the crowd getting on Andy. And Andy just wanted to find a little hole to crawl into. But fortunately, we were to get, able to get through that match. Um, and then in the semis playing a Southern Cal team who was number one seed. And, you know, they're just amazing. And we we were struggling physically a little bit because of the Georgia match took so much out of us. Mm-hmm. And we were so fortunate to basically win that match in singles. And I remember that match, Will Forsyth was playing Wayne Black at number four singles. And and um, and we needed Will to win. We needed Will to win because we didn't want to go into doubles because the Southern Cal was really strong in doubles. And we had one guy that was cramping. So I, and I, we needed Will to kind of come through. And, and, um, and what happened was Wayne Black was dominating in the third set. And Wayne breaks the string. And Wayne is just really quiet, kind of, you know, very, very, you know, not, not, you know, very gracious at all. So he goes to get his new racket and there's a, uh, the racket, he he looks at the racket and there, and I, I see him all of a sudden he's got a scared (laughs) look on his face. And what's different about the racket is there's no grip, there's no turner grip and it's really hot right now in Georgia. So I told, I told Will, I go, Will, Will serve and I go, Will, okay, kick it to his forehand. And and Will and Wayne's been just you know just kind of teeing off on his forehand, and and I go and I, and so Will kicks the ball to his forehand. Will's a lefty, and Wayne misses the ball in the net. I go, all right, Will slice it to his forehand. Okay, so you know every ball, just slice every ball to his forehand. So Wayne proceeds to miss three straight balls. Okay, so it's now it's four two, and then Wayne's still struggling with that form because again the grip, he doesn't have it's it's he doesn't have the turner grip on it. And so I go, just keep working that forehand. So now, now again, it's four, three, now a changeover. Wayne is, you know, regripping the, the racket. Okay. And so now, okay. I go, I know Will, Will's not really good with kind of just one, one simple game plan. So I go, Will just go for your shots. Just, I mean, just go after it. I don't care where you go. Just, you know, and, and so Will's now got more confidence, more belief and Will ends up winning in, in the third and that helped us win 5-1 against Southern Cal and get us to the finals. And it was just, you know, just a magical, magical time, you know, here, first time, you know, team from the north of the Mason-Dixon line gets to the finals. And 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 Bobby, uh, you know, it's just what an incredible co- coach he's been for him to get uh, a team to the finals. And I was just, just a proud little assistant, just doing a very <laughs> little part to, uh, you know, to see this team and, and the program reach this, this kind of accomplishment. Yeah, I know. And again, that year, I think, is the Alex O'Brien Triple Crown year where Stanford wins the team. He wins the singles and the doubles as well. And obviously, you know, you talk about guys like Bobby and Craig Tiley and all of the coaches of that era, Dick Gould as well, uh, Dick Leach. 
Um, you know, they helped build college tennis to where it is today. And so it's, it's fascinating to hear about those teams. I also feel like, and this is a question I've asked a bunch of coaches, but while we're on this topic, the biggest difference between now and then, like, I feel like your 92 Notre Dame team, they're competitive with anyone nowadays, right? Obviously game style is a little bit different, but that team and the teams at the top, that 92 Stanford team could compete with any of the teams at the top now. I feel like the biggest difference in college tennis is it's team 30, 40, 50, the William Marys of the world, et cetera, that are just way better than their counterparts were then and would blow them out. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, there's so much more competition now. Um, it's there's just there's just better coaches now. There's more money. There's there there's programs devoting more uh, resources to you know to to men's and women's tennis, and it's it's great. I mean, it's the parity is so good for college tennis, and um, you know we um, you know when I was coaching at We Mary, um, you know we were fortunate to get Lauren Nicholas and Michelle Lowe, the two top ten recruits in the country, and you know we didn't you know there was no social media, there was you know. I don't think we definitely wouldn't get those players nowadays. I mean, just because, you know, we wouldn't have the money and, you know, there, there'd be a zillion coaches recruiting them. And, you know, I remember coaching Laura, uh, recruiting Lauren Nicholas and I was the first, you know, player at the tournament. I watched every one of her matches and I waited till the very end when at, at national clay courts, when she, she finished, uh, you know, finishing uh, her third match playoff. And I, I delayed my, you know, I, I barely made my flight, but I was about to miss my flight. But I really wanted to just talk to her after the match because I couldn't talk to her until she was done with the tournament. She was the last match out. And so, again, you know, it's just nowadays there's, a, you know, there's so many coaches, there's so many programs, there's so much more money involved. So, you know, you got cost of attendance. You know, we Mary, we didn't have, you know, the extra stuff that we could provide. You know, when I, when I was coaching Wayne Mary, I was the strength coach. I was the you know, nutritionist. I was – all these wearing all these different hats. And so, you know, Lauren, you know, when I, you know, I, when I, I was in charge of gear and I would, I would get the, you know, these our players, cause I didn't know any better. I'd, I never coached females. I'd, I'd buy uh, men's gear for these women's players. And so, I, you know, they, they were just appreciative at the time of what, what I was giving them, even though they realized it wasn't, you know, the best opportunities for them to, you know, to, you know, the other players, other players, other programs were having amazing sponsorship with Nike and all these things. So, but, you know, it, nowadays it's different. You're right. There's so much more parity and so much more competition. That's great for college tennis. Yeah. And again, talk about talking about things that are great for college tennis. And we have a lot of things I want to hit on in today's show, because obviously North Carolina tennis has been synonymous, North Carolina women's tennis, with women's college tennis over the past decade, really, but in particular these past five years with this trio, you know, Jones, Davitella, Graham, what they were able to accomplish. And just, you know, I know we talked about this the last time we had you on the show, but, you know, your team 18-0 and at the time uh, the 2020 season has stopped due to the pandemic and you guys steamroll through the national indoor title. And maybe now that we're a little bit removed, you'll admit that you guys steamrolled through it in 2020. And it was just so clear as good as UCLA was, you guys were the best team by a country mile. And just, you know, I know we've talked about the emotions of feeling that ripped away and then the excitement of knowing, well, we're going to be able to get our seniors that I'm curious again, how you as you look back how your team was able to balance all of those thoughts and all of the different things the 18 match winning streak and how you think your team responded you know throughout the course of 2021 yeah uh as we spoke last time uh that 20 
2020 season, having that season cut short after, you know, you know, the national indoor championship in Chicago, which you were there. And, um, we, you know, we were, and we played, we played everybody in that season. We played everybody. We played obviously UCLA. Uh, we, we, we played everybody in the, in the conference. We played NC state. We played Duke. We played Virginia. We played Georgia tech. Um, and Florida so state four, three on the Florida road, a sneaky, excellent match and Miami on the road. So we yeah. really, we went through the gauntlet already of the ACC. Um, you know, so yeah, the Florida state one was, you know, was, was unbelievable with Cam Mora winning a seven, six in the third match. And, and ironically, I don't even know this, but we, we won that match without Sarah. Sarah was sick. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, and, you know, so it was really cold at Florida state. So I think we had to deal with a lot of, uh, challenges, um, that year, but that, you know, the, the, you know, we, we, again, the Florida state match was our first match outdoors in very cold temperatures. Um, match had to be moved back because of, of, of rain and, and, and really cold temperatures because she, she wanted to play us outdoors. And then we went to Miami under very different conditions, uh, hot temperatures and, and, you know, much slower courts. So, um, and we played that one without Scotty. Um, so, you know, just, you know, again, again, to, to have that season cut short, like it was, was very devastating because we felt, as you said, we felt we were the best team and we wanted to see and prove it. Um, but um, going into last year, uh, we, we, we tried to use it as fuel and motivation. And, you know, we, you know, it's hard to win back-to-back indoor championships and you were there in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma state. And uh, we ran, we ran into a, a really, really, really uh, young, talented, motivated, excited, Texas team in the finals. And I mean, I told them after doubles, I was so glad that it was only one point because we would have been down three zero. Um, and, and we would have gotten blown out of the water because they were so much better than us in that. I think it was maybe only 30 minutes of doubles, but, um, uh, it's, it was not a very long period of time, but in singles, it did not look good for a while, but, um, you give our team credit. You, you got, you know, Sarah and, uh, and Alexa beating, two really talented players at the top and, and for, and to give us some hope, but then you got Scotty and, and Fiona, you know, just playing next to each other, you know, just, you know, motivating each other, competing as hard as they did, you know, and just, you know, finding a way to win. And, and, um, you know, Fiona being down four, one in the third and then, and then Scotty, you know, just, um, being down, you know, in the second set down and out, um, both, you know, just, you know, having this kind of, never say die attitude. And, and so that was kind of our philosophy. And then going through the whole ACC undefeated, winning the regular season, winning the, the, the team title um, was just an amazing accomplishment for our team after, you know, what we did in 2020. Um, I, you know, I don't know how many matches we won in a row, but, you know, we, um, you know, get to the NCAA tournament and, and um, you know, we played a very motivated, we played a very talented Cal team first, and that was really a tough match. And then we played a very motivated, you know, just swinging freely, uh, Duke team that really had nothing to lose. We'd already beaten them, you know, earlier, and you know they just played the best match. And you know, and, and Jamie said best match of their of their season. And you know, we were fortunate to win. You know, that match uh, the way we were down after winning doubles point, we were down in four of the single uh, uh, singles matches. So, but um, you know, again, the Pepperdine match is the one. If you ask me 
play one match over with uh, again, I'd play the Pepperdine match over again. There's so many things as a coach I'd want to do differently. Uh, Pepperdine deserved to win, but you know, they, um, they, they played better than us, but if I could do one match over with, I'd do, I would do that one. So th- I appreciate you laying out the scene for us. And there's a lot of things I want to follow up and well, I kind of, I guess I'll do this in reverse order. And I know it's hindsight, and I know this is not a fun question to have to answer, but you talk about the things you would do differently in that Pepperdine match. Looking at the numbers from last season, as successful, and we'll get to the three seniors and how great they were throughout the course of the year, but obviously the big number, you know, Fiona Crawley, 28-0 in dual matches. She was ridiculous throughout the course of the season. Obviously that uh, success translated into the NCAA tournament. You know, Riley Tran, 16-0 in dual matches throughout the course of the season in singles. You even have Annika Yarlagata, 11-1. The point being, you had a bunch of options, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8. Looking back at that NCAA tournament, because I know, you know, uh, Cam wasn't healthy and Scotty wasn't healthy. Is that the decision? Would you maybe rejigger that knowing, you know, even Crawley at 5, Tran at 6, whatever you may do, moving everyone up a spot? Is that something you think about now? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's, there, you know, again, you have to trust your players and the players said that they were healthy and you gotta, you gotta go with it. But, um, you know, I think, uh, when you get to the NCAA tournament and you get to the, the, you know, the final few days, um, what you do in the regular season, you know, they, they, things might be different. And, um, I completely trust your, you know, the players and, uh, and I, and I, and the players we put out there, we still had full confidence that that was, that was the right lineup, but it's always tough when you, you leave a player like Riley Tran, who's undefeated on the bench and uh, you know, she wasn't completely healthy either. So, but um, you know, to, 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 you know, to, to not be able to, um, you know, play t- uh, players that are, have been so successful um, is, is tough, but you know, you, you, it, hindsight's 2020. And, you know, for us, it was more about the doubles. Um, you know, we, um, I think we had opportunities at number two doubles up four one and I was, you know, you know, we were down four one at one double. So, um, you know, we've been very strong in doubles and, you know, a match like that, you know, it just goes, comes down to a very few points at one double Sarah and Cam, they, those guys were able to kind of turn turn uh, the tide and come back and win that match. And, and I thought, you know, two doubles, we, we had, you know, a team that won NCAA doubles was up four one that, you know, they, um, you know, I'm, I'm not putting blame on them, but you know, I know they felt like, you know, that's a match that they like get, get away. And then at three doubles, we've been really strong with Riley and Ali at three doubles and, um, you know, just did not play up to our potential there. Some some coaching stuff that I wish is you know maybe we would have done over again you know to to kind of you know thwart some momentum, but um, you know it's definitely a match. I think if we had to play them over again, knowing you know knowing how talented we are, but also how talented they they are, I think we would you know we we would love to have that opportunity again. Yeah, and I, I apologize for harping on this match because I know it's not one you want to relive, but you used a fascinating word there in trust. And that is my thing as well when I look at it is just hadn't that group earned the right 
to go on out on their turns. Again, you win a national indoor championship earlier in the season, that 4-3 match with those six players playing in the singles. Like, I, I guess the broader question is how you balance those things, knowing, okay, this might be the toughest coaching decision to make, but at the same time, my players have earned this trust, and I want to show that I have trust in them as well, right? Like, that's the crux of the difficulty in the decision, and, like, for, for whatever it's worth, it just felt like those six... They deserve the right, you know, if they're telling you they're healthy, right? They've earned the trust to say, we can do this together. They've earned that, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, we went through the season, you know, having some illnesses and some injuries. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Scotty had this this syndrome that she was dealing with um, mid-March, or actually, you know, where she, she didn't play a singles match for about a month until ACC's, and then ACC's come around. And she's got her, her medication figured out and, um, she, you know, she's able to play for, you know, in some big matches in a- at ACC's and basically, basically clinches the ACC tournament for us against Georgia tech. Um, and, um, so, and obviously she clinched national indoors against, uh, Texas. So, um, you know, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, if, if Scotty tells me she's healthy, she's playing and, um, McKenna went through the, you know, the, this, the year with, you know, some, you know, some injuries and not, you know, feeling great. And there are times where she didn't play, you know, and she, and, you know, she was, you know, full goat. And so that we were fortunate, fortunate enough to have, as you mentioned, you know, to have Riley and Annika, you know, so strong at the bottom, we, we beat Georgia at Georgia with when Scotty and McKenna were out because of COVID and, um, and so, you know, you, you know, to win the, you know, they had on four courts to have to win the last two matches on the courts. Um, when you got basically first year players playing on the road against, you know, seasoned veterans at Georgia, you know, it shows you the kind of depth and team we had. So we felt very confident that we had eight players that could, that could get it done for us. And, you know, we just, you know, what, you know, and, and, and when, whenever the player's name was called. We trusted that that player was the right person that day. And they went out there and was able to execute and and give us a great opportunity. Yeah, no. And, you know, again, to get to some of the positives, watching you guys at the NCAA tournament in particular, it was so clear, Sarah, Alexa, you know, they were not going to lose at the top two flights and against, you know, Pepperdine there. It was just so clear how determined they were to put those two points on the board for the team. Obviously, for McKenna and Scotty to lose that match against Pepperdine, go on to win the NCAA tournament. A, made me feel very smart because I said, I promise you, North Carolina women are walking out of the uh, Orlando with some sort of NCAA championship. I don't know what it's going to be, but they were going to get something. Now, that would not have been my pick, but ultimately they get the job done. But again, you look at that senior class, Sarah, Alexa, McKenna, you know, Sarah and Alexa, two and three on the all-time singles wins. McKenna was a top five player in singles during her career. They make the national indoor final in all five of their seasons, win three national indoor titles, 48 match win streak, you know, throughout the course of those last two seasons as well. Countless successes at the NCAAs. You've had a lot of successful groups at your time in, in North Carolina, but what you know what this group was able to accomplish in particular. What does it mean to you? What did it mean to the program? Well, yeah, I mean, so, there's so many amazing positives to draw on. On and it, we had just incredible people in, in our program. 
you know, you, you, you talk about, you know, for example, you know, Cam Mora, who uh, got the NCAA semis her freshman year, and she's out there battling, you know, with an injury, being the last person on the court against Pepperdine. And you can just see that she's, she's not even close to being at full, you know, and, and so, you know, that, and then you, you see Scotty and McKenna who lose in doubles after being up four one and then they lose in singles. And they're like, you know what we need, we need to save face and do everything we possibly can. Okay. To bring a title for Carolina. And they, <laughs> I mean, they were down match points in their first several matches in the individual mm -hmm. tournament. And for them, you know, to get better every match. I remember at McKenna, we were, they were playing the Georgia Tech team down match point and McKenna was down. It's second, second serve down match point. Okay. And she, she, her toss is so far in front of her and low. I just like, Oh my goodness, this is not going to be good. And <laughs> hits the, hits the net and dribbles over. I'm like, Oh, somebody's looking out for these guys. Okay. And so Scott, Scotty gives her a stay signal and McKenna barely pushes a serve in and Scotty just poaches and knocks off a volley on match point down against Georgia tech in the first round. And in the second round, they're playing a, 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 another third set super breaker against Furman who Furman is really, really good. Mm -hmm. And they just, again, down match point, find a way to, to, you know, to, to get it done and then play obviously just an incredible Texas team in the finals. Uh, and not to mention playing, you know, <laughs> NC State's number one team was really, really good and beat them in straight sets. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's just so, you know, amazing to see the, the good that came out of this season, not, you know, not just with the, the national indoor championship, but winning an NCAA title, McKenna leaving, you know, a winner on the court you know, is just, it's just a proud moment, you know, for me. And then obviously for, and for Scotty to see how far she came through the year and for her to win a national title and be able to play in the US Open was incredible. And now that it's over, you can be honest with me. How shocked were you? Because let's be honest, Sarah, semifinals, singles, total sense. Alexa making a deep run there made total sense. If we were on the, if I would have asked you before the season, like, hey, your NCAA champions are gonna be Jones and Scotty and Devils, you'd have laughed at me, right? <laughs> um, you know, what's interesting was um they um <sighs> Again, they got they were seated fourth, okay, I, which was crazy. But, out okay. of tone. <laughs> yes, but the reason why they got seated fourth was because there's an ACC rule that okay. um, when the doubles point is clinched, if they are within okay a game of winning, they get to mm -hmm. and they've f started that game, they get to complete that game. Mm -hmm. They finished three matches at the end of the year being up within a game, and the game was in it, it was was in. In, in in um progress and they got to finish those games against three ranked teams okay if they didn't play those matches out they would not have been seated fourth they would probably not have been a preseason all-americans and so they probably wouldn't have had a good draw not that they had a good draw but okay sure. they didn't have to play a seed in the first two rounds they played two good really good teams but okay they were not playing great tennis and if they played a seed they probably would have lost so that, you know, it was shocking to me, but they had some fortune that, you know, went in their favor at the end of the year. There's no doubt about that. And again, another third set breaker in that championship final as well. And yeah, again, it was just, 
it was the sort of ending it felt like your team deserved, certainly given all of the success they had had over the past two years. And for whatever it's worth, the 2020 NCAA champions, in my mind, are the North Carolina Tar Heels. Like, there was no doubt, in my opinion, that was happening. Uh, but of course, again, Graham, Davitella, Jones, which is really the first group of people I started covering. That's why they'll always have a special place in my heart as well. I'm a bit sad that with Alexa Graham no longer on the roster, there's no chance I'll be accidentally included in the group text messages because, you know, again, (laughs) the AGs are just gone uh, from, from your cell phone list. But, you know, with that in mind, we turn the page to 2022. And obviously you look at your team here this fall. Well, let's just start with this. How nice was it to have a full fall once again? It was incredible. It was incredible to um, to n- not just practice like we did in 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 twenty uh, twenty, um, but also to be able to play competition and and um, have an all American and and have a national fall nationals and you know just to host an you know invitational um, the Kitty Harrison. It's just it was amazing and um, uh, and it, it gave our, our players a platform to see what they can do individually and. And uh, our, our players had a great fall. They really had a great fall. Uh, so, I mean, Cam Mora, you know, f- you know, finishing the fall ranked five. And we had we had a first. We had Cam and, and Fiona doing the, you know, our region was one of the only regions, you know, that actually uh, had two different champions. So we were able to have two champions. We had two singles champions in Cam and, and Fiona. And we had two doubles champions in, in, um, in Cam and Carson and, and then Fiona and Scotty. So, you know, we you know, that was, that was a first and that was awesome, you know, to see. And then, and then obviously, you know, you know, with Fiona and Riley going to Milwaukee um, and getting to the finals and just beating, you know, Riley beats Cayetano there. um, And then, and then, then playing in the, you know, in the finals against each other actually played back at UNC weeks later, but you know, that was just a grind of a tournament. And then Riley, Riley getting to fall nationals because of that event um, and then Fiona obviously qualifying her own through regionals, but Riley finishing the fall, you know, ranked seven in the country. What a great fall, you know, finally loses to Noel in three sets. And that was her first and only loss in her career. So, you know, what an incredible fall for her. Um, and then Carson had an incredible tournament at, at, at Cary, you know, beats, um, Salma Ewing. She beats Karen Miller, uh, you know, beats, you know, um, Collard from Virginia, and got to the finals, was supposed to play in the finals, but ended up getting hurt and not being able to play. But, you know, she finishes the year ranked 13th in the country after the fall. And so what a great uh, fall for Carson. And then obviously Fiona had a great fall as well, finished the fall with ranked 19th in the country. And then Annika had a, had a great fall as well. Um, and uh, she did, you know, she had some really good wins. She beat Carrington from LSU. Um and and so uh, she also beat Yali Coleman from Duke. So, you know that uh, was a you know just a, a, a great opportunity for our players to kind of showcase, you know the, the you know the efforts that they did over the summer, but also the the work they're putting in in their games. And um, so and then the player that you know didn't play as much but wasn't ranked was you know Elizabeth Scotty, but she had three really good wins. Won her flight at at at, um, at our at our Kitty Harrison tournament. Beat um, Kelly Chen and beat Carly Briggs both in straight sets. And so she's come back this spring and, and has two really good wins over, you know, Tennessee's top two girls. So, um, you know, we, you know, we feel really good where our players are, but, you know, we're, we're excited, really excited to get into the meat of the, of the team events. 
Sounds... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I want to follow up on some of those individuals, but I'm curious because, again, when you lose three seniors who contributed the way Sarah Alexa McKenna did, uh, certainly knew the ins and outs of college tennis as well as anyone by the end of their career, you probably – and I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, but you probably don't have to coach them as hard as you have to coach a younger player, a freshman, sophomore, still learning their bearings and the rigors of the dual match season – with that in mind, again, it's a younger roster. Certainly, yeah, Cam, Scotty have a ton of experience. And to your point, you know, Riley's 28 and 1 in her career. Fiona's 47 and 5. Annika's 35 and 12. They've had tons of success in college tennis. That said, this group hasn't really competed together as a team the way, again, when you have those seniors on your roster, just inherently they have competed together. With that in mind, how have you stressed? The nat- you know, the individual practices, individual development that has to happen for any player with ensuring your team has enough time for team practice and gelling from a chemistry perspective here in the fall and early in the spring. Yeah, our players spend a lot of uh, – they, they, they're very dedicated, very, very committed. Um, you talk, All those players, they come, they've come out a lot this fall working on their games individually, and I think you can see it pay, you know, paying off. I mean – all those players, I mean, Riley, Fiona, Annika, they, you know, they, they spent a lot of time um, coming out, you know, Riley and Fiona, you know, spent all summer at Carolina and worked with Ty, Ty and I. Um, and so you could just see that they were ready when this fall came around, they were ready, you know, to, you know, to kind of, they, this was their first fall opportunities. They had, they didn't have a fall as a freshman, so they didn't play in these individual tournaments. Fiona really struggled in the NCA tournament in the first round against Ackley because she never played a fall tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, so her never played an individual tournament. That was her first individual match. Okay. At the NCA tournament, at the end of the, of the, of the end of the spring. So she, she didn't know what it was hard for her to kind of play for herself and not for the team. And so it was nice to see, you know, Annika and Riley and Fiona and even Scotty, Scotty had never had a fall. You know, so because Scotty came in January, so all these players to be able to have them have some individual success and play for themselves and see that the hard work that they that they you know were were you know putting forth to come to fruition. So that's that was that was just you know really uh, nice to see. I'm curious more broadly as you go through the season, how you balance individual practices with team practice. Are you someone who has team practice every day? I know obviously, you know, when you're doing that, I'm sure you're doing individuals throughout the day as well. And that's just a lot of time on court, but you know, throughout, as you go through the course of the year and as you look at different teams, are you, you know, how do you stress those two things, the individual practices versus the team practices within the 20 hours? So what we do is we, we, we really only keep team practices to an hour and a half. Okay. Okay. We want them hungry for more, and we and we feel that um, they're going to want to come out um, for extra individuals, and and they do. And I think to me, I think when you have a way of of connecting with them on an individual basis, that makes their team practices that much better. 
Mm-hmm. So you you know you just don't have just team practices and they're struggling. You can't really take somebody aside and and fix what their problem is. But if you've made a connection with them individually, then you can then all of a sudden in the team practice let them know, hey, remember we did this you know yesterday, and remember I told you about this. All of a sudden they're gaining confidence in the team practice and they're able to kind of continue to kind of grow as a player. So that that you know we really you know, we really stress and we probably spend more individual time than most programs. Um, and, um, you know, we have some players that do an individual every day. Um, and, and because we only practice for an hour and a half, you know, we're able to kind of maximize our 20 hours that way. Yeah, no, it's fascinating to hear. And one of the players who I, as you mentioned, one of the many players who I think reaped the benefits of that hard work was Fiona Crawley leads your team and wins this fall 17 and four overall, that rhyme was unintended, I promise. Um, but when you look at Fiona, I mean, so I have a theory, and I, you know, the people I work with sometimes laugh at me, but I think Fiona's ready to be a top five player in college tennis. You just watch the pace with which she can hit the ball and how, you know, fluid she is moving around the court and, you know, just her willingness to move forward, how much better she's clearly gotten throughout the course of her college career. And I know you've got Cam, and I know you've got Scotty, who, probably, again, a bit more experienced than her in the college tennis scene. But did you see that jump from Fiona this fall? Am I out of my mind for thinking she's ready to be a number one player, you know, at the number one singles position? Well, she, you know, I mean, she didn't play doubles for us last year. She spent pretty much her entire summer and and her uh, fall really becoming more comfortable with coming forward, like you talked about, and working on her doubles. She was really determined to to want to improve her doubles and now now just her skill set but her IQ you know she's 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 a very competitive probably one of the more competitive players so um you know when she's not doing something right she really wants to you know to you know to to correct it so i th- i think you know w- you know we have uh we have a bunch of players that are eager to to prove themselves at the top of our lineup they you know we lost you know several you know top players and now the you know the opportunity at the top is there um, I think Cam and Scotty and Fiona and Riley and, you know, so I, those, those are the four that are really kind of, you know, hungry to, you know, to prove and, and want to play at the top. So Fiona is definitely one of those players that has the ability to do that. And I'm excited to see how she can develop throughout this spring season. You know, last year you had the luxury, Alexa, Sarah, they were going to play the top two spots. And yeah, they did some flip-flopping throughout the course of the year. I'm sure they didn't mind. But, you know, you also, with all the injuries, had the opportunity to play Riley a ton, play Annika a ton. Obviously, this year, I know you have depth on the roster, but it does feel like you have a pretty solid six in terms of who you're going to be playing at singles. I'm sure you are thinking about these things, but is there any idea to a rotating cast at the beginning? Are we going to see a bunch of different lineups to kind of figure out who fits where early on? Um, I mean, I would, you know, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think everybody deserves to get opportunities. And, um, you know, last year we were fortunate to play, you know, a lot of different players. I think this year, I think we still have that luxury. I think we have, um, you know, we have Ali Sanford and Casey Harvey and, you know, Casey's done, had some really good wins, um, at the, you know, following some pro events and, and her game has really come on and Ali has proven she's a national champion. She, you know, she came back for a fifth year for the reason, you know, to lead, to lead our team and, and to have her best year, um, as, as a fifth year senior. So, you know, I think we'll have, you know, hopefully as, as much depth as we did last year, um, 
And we had some other players too. Lindsay Zink, the daughter of Lauren Nicholas, who I coached at William Mary, has had yeah had some really good wins in the fall. So, um, you know, she beat a couple of ranked players. Um, so she beat you know LSU's number one girl. So, um, I, you know, I, again, you know, at the top, you know, we have we have really four to five players that could play anywhere. You know, one or two for us, and and we'll see how it shakes out. But um, you know, I think. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're, this was supposed to be a rebuilding year for us and, and it kind of still is, but, you know, you know, back in 2010, when we got to our first final four and, um, you know, we lost three of our top four girls, um, you know, we lost, you know, Sanaz, uh, Miranda and, and Katrina Sang and Sophie Grabinski and, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, we had players, you know, that had never played the top of the lineup you know, like Zoe DeBrucker or Shanann Featherston. And in 2011, we'd never won an ACC tournament title. And in 2011, you know, you know, after getting to the final four and losing to a tight match to Florida, um, you know, we, in 2011, we ended up, you know, having an amazing year, top five in the country, win ACCs. And um, so, you know, and then you had Zoe and Shanann playing one and two and they played six and seven, you know, you know, you know, six and seven for us the year before. So I think this year's team, all spots are open. And I think this year's team's similar, you know, losing three really good players, but you know, our players are really excited to prove that, you know what, our program is going to still stay at the top and we're going to do our part to try and assume different roles and, and see what we can do. Is it weirder for you to coach the daughter of someone you coach or to coach against pair someone you used to coach against as a player? Coach the daughter or, or, or who, what's the other? Or option? someone like Pear, who, you know, oh. you coached against it when he was a player at Mississippi State. Oh, right, right, right. Um, definitely weirder to coach a daughter. Um, <laughs> yeah, that shows how old I am. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's it's just funny, you know, too, because, um, you know, I <laughs> Lauren, when I was coaching Lauren, it was just a incredible. I was so young um, and – it, it was such a incredible uh, opportunity to coach her and we've stayed in such close you know contact and um, and obviously uh, now to coach Lindsay it's just such a dream come true um, I, I for me personally the reason why I asked my coach Bobby Bayless you know I said why you know why 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 do you do what you do why did you get into coaching you're so smart you know you have so many degrees and you're and you could do so many other things he said you know the reason why you get into coaching, the reason why I got into coaching is, is when they graduate and, and they, they go on and they have kids and they come back with their families, they talk about their experiences. That's what makes it special. That's what makes it so rewarding. And, and to go, to go, you know, to weddings, to be, you know, I've gone to several weddings. I went to one of my players wedding this fall. Mm -hmm. uh, and, And now to be able to coach one of my, former player's daughter is such an incredible dream come true yeah i believe your first year assistant coach was 1989 at notre dame right correct so my parents got married in 1990 so you are one gruskin family into your coaching <laughs> tenure there you go uh, no it's awesome and again uh it, it it speaks to your passion for the game i think that's why your teams continue to have so much success two more tennis questions for you before we move big picture is there just something about the two-handed forehand that you enjoy, Coach? Obviously, you got Mora, you got Tran as well. What is it about that shot that you? I don't want to say you've got a type, but I think you've got a type, Coach. 
you know, you know, I, I, I look, I look at competitors and I look at passion for the game and um, I don't really look at, you know, there's two things that you, you can't coach. Okay. One it's, it's speed. Okay. And competitiveness. Um, so Riley is arguably one of the fastest players um, that I've ever coached. And Cam is arguably one of the most competitive players I've ever coached. And to me, those players have gifts that, you know, they can, you know, Cam, Cam has really worked a lot in her game. Um, she, she beat this Tennessee girl in a third set uh, tiebreaker last week. Um, and at, at eight all in the tiebreaker, she got pulled forward and hit a backhand chip down the line for a winner against one of the fastest, most competitive players, Mertana. And I was just, I was just in awe of that shot. Um, and, and so I think there's other things that can, can get, you know, can get developed. And when you have two hands off both sides, you have limitations on your reach and Cam's worked on her variety, worked on her, you know, her slice and worked on her drop shot. And so, um, and, and, and Riley, her, her, you know, you talk about, you know, Riley lefty, you know, two-handed forehand, you know, Cam righty two-handed forehand, those forehands are lethal. Okay. And they're lethal because they have two hands on them. So, I mean, I know somebody tried to change Riley into a one, you know, to one handed and she ended up crying when she was little, not saying, I want to be two hands. And I know Cam's dad, co you know, coached her and taught her how to play. And I mean, I would never be one to, to change anything that's a success and a talent and as well, as much of a weapon as they are. So, um, I, you know, I, um, I recruited a girl way, way back from Mexico who actually had two forehands. She would hit lefty forehand and a righty forehand and, and I didn't get her, but, that would have that would have been fun to do. So you know, yeah. no, I, you know. I like to hear it. No, it, it's a fascinating response. And you know, again, my last tennis centric question for you: uh, Crawley and Scotty, eleven and one in doubles. Clearly, something clicked for them here this fall. And you know, Carson and Cam, twelve and one in doubles. Clearly, something clicked for them this fall. Fifteen other doubles teams, though played throughout the course of the fall. And I know some of that's just inherent experimentation, having a fall again. But you play 17 total doubles teams. That's I think that's tied for the lead amongst all the Power 5 coaches, Coach. So congratulations to you. That's another thing to put on the resume. But what leads to a number being that high? Well, we played a lot this fall. We played a lot of events. And um, we, um, we also wanted to give players opportunities to play with other players. Um, you know, we had, you know, last year we had some pretty, you know, you know, experienced doubles players, you know, coming back. So, you know, and obviously not having to fall the year before, we just felt like we wanted to play uh, different combinations and see what they could do. And, um, and so, um, and we split some term, you know, t some, you know, combinations up as far as like, we went to, you know, uh, Milwaukee um, and Furman, we went to Kerry and the Kitty Harrison. So um, we just tried to do some different events to give our players, you know, maximum opportunities. And the doubles things was more of trying to get, give them, see who gelled with whom. And to me, I'm glad we did it because you, you talked about, you know, Scotty and, and Fiona before they played regionals, they had never played together before, but it, you know, on paper, I thought their games could match up, but their chemistry was the thing that really sold me on it. Their very first match against Coastal Carolina, they were down 2-0-40 love in an in a um, eight game pro set, and I and I was on I was on Cam and Carson's court, 
and I came over there and I asked, you know, one of my players who, you know, how the, you know, how they're doing, they told me they're down, but you could just tell that they were so positive and so energized. They came back and won that game. I went out there and I said, look, it seems to me that you guys are up three zero. Okay. Rather than being down two one or barely down, almost down three zero, just because of you just having so much fun and Cam and Carson are the same. They, they, they help each other so well with their game styles, but with their temperament and their pers- personalities um, and Cam's leadership with Carson's kind of amazing talent on, on the doubles court. So, you know, we, we found a couple of chemistry and, and, and combinations that clicked and hopefully, you know, they'll continue to grow and get better throughout the spring season. Have your doubles principles changed at all throughout your coaching tenure? Do you coach it differently than you once did? Well, I got a great uh, associate head coach in Tyler who's really helped he's really helped me um, kind of become more aggressive minded in our doubles. To me, um, I'm very strategic in my coaching. I like to play to um, uh, you know a team's weaknesses. You know, when Sarah Anderson and Jenna Long, you know, um, you know, were you know, I, I could not really get them to be ultra ultra aggressive. Um, so when they won NCAs, I got them to kind of make someone uncomfortable. When they played Megan Moulton Levy and, uh, and Zurichik in the finals, um, you know, they always struggle with a, against a really aggressive team, and and they're playing a Kevin Epley team who always cu- you know clouds you know the middle and covers the you know the court stream. So I was really trying to get uh, you know our players back then to have more variety in their games, use the lob, use the down the lines, you know, poach, you know, uh, you know, occasionally. But I think, you know, nowadays, you know, players, you know, we were, you know, with Tyler, Tyler's been really, really instrumental in getting us to be more aggressive mindset and, and serving with purpose. And, and so I think, you know, having such an, a great accomplished, you know, associate head coach who has 17 years of personal head coaching experience just enables us to, uh, to, to be able to not only just play to an opponent's weaknesses, but also play to your strengths and, and develop and develop weapons. Yeah, Tyler's okay. Um, no, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of Tyler's as well. And yeah, it is. It's fascinating because you're right. Scotty and Crawley played such a different brand of doubles than uh, Cam and Carson did, and that's why yeah. I ask because it was yeah. fascinating to see. You know, again, it's it's not a one size fit all, right? Doubles approach. It's very much tailored to the individuals on the court. Correct. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so it, it was really fun to watch. Again, uh, your team compete this fall. With all of that said, you know, again, there's a lot of talent on the roster, and that leads me to recruiting and a couple of different aspects I want to explore there. But let's just start here. Give me the pitch, Coach Calbis, and I've asked all the Power 5 coaches this, but I want to hear from you as well. Clearly, the pitch is working. Why should I come to Chapel Hill? Why should I be a Tar Heel moving forward? Well, the, the, the you know, in 2000, I mentioned 2010, we got to the final four um, with um, not a lot of blue trippers on our roster. And, um, and we had players, those three seniors, you know, really, you know, just got better. And we, we were a developmental program. So now we have blue chippers on our roster who want to be pros and they, they, you know, the Haley Carters and the Jamie Loeb's and the Caroline prices and the Whitney K's, they started taking unofficial visits to our program to, to want to, you know, be part of a developmental program, but also be a pro tennis player. And when you have a, an incredible athletic department, you know, UNC, you know, they, they say university of national champions, you got soccer, you know, with Anson Dorans, 22 national championships, 
Karen Shelton, field hockey, you know, you know, seven national championships, Roy Williams, you know, several national championships. You got programs that are, are getting it done with the resources that we have and the, and the facilities that we have. We are now, you know, fortunate to incredible donors. We are now in the process of building a brand new uh, $35 million state-of-the-art uh, uh, outdoor slash improvement of our indoor, you know, facility. So, you know, so now that was the only knock, you know, where our, our facility is somewhat a little bit off campus and our play, how can your players get better when they have to kind of transport themselves, you know, a mile off campus, but now to have, a, you know, an amazing facility that's going to have a weight room, training room, uh, you know, workout area, a artificial turf, everything that they need, one-stop shop, you know, there's going to be no negativity because the campus is beautiful. Academics is amazing. Now our, our facility is going to be amazing. So, you know, come on board, Alex. We'll take you. <laughs> I'm in. I think I look great in powder blue as well. Um, but I'm curious from, a, you know, looking back, and I, I've looked back, I think, all the way 2015 roster. I think it's entirely American. And I'm curious if that's something in your recruiting. I mean, I'm sure that's a luxury of North Carolina is many of the best Americans probably want to go there. But is that a – you know, is that something – a conscious choice, I suppose, is the word I'm looking for uh, from you from a recruiting aspect because obviously we talked about the depth earlier. I think part of the reason the game has gotten deeper is there are just more talented international players within the sport. Well, uh, the, the uh, short end of it is I love being married, and my <laughs> wife and my wife uh, believes that you need to give Americans um, the opportunity. Sure. And um, and her, if she could make one NCAA change, she would be if you don't have She's not against, she's not anti-foreign, but, mm -hmm. you know, she's pro-American. So if, if you had, if you had eight scholarships, which we do, um, if you had more foreigners than Americans, then you would not be able to play in the NCAA tournament. That would be her rule. Um, but, but uh, my thing is I, I'm big on culture. I'm big on developmental. I'm big on, on, on giving back to your university. And to me, um, I think the Americans allow us to develop the players. They know the culture. They know what they're getting themselves into. Um, when I was at William Mary, I had some foreign players, and I one of the best person player I've ever coached was a, a foreign player from the Netherlands. But the one of the worst players persons I've ever coached was also from the Netherlands. So you don't you don't always know what you're getting yourself into. As when you're coaching Americans, you're recruiting Americans, you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. And we've done a really good job of bringing in the right person, person over the player. And um, thankfully, my wife keeps me on track to make sure <laughs> we look and give the, the, the best Americans the, 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 the first opportunity to be uh, Tar Heels here. No, it's fascinating. And I, who's the last? I want to say it's Laura Slater, maybe 2015, looking back. Yeah, um, that's the last international player on the roster. But. No, it, it is. It, it, it's an interesting approach. Um, I imagine then you think the NCA, well, the U.S. NCA champion wild card should only go to an American. I believe that. I believe that. I know others feel differently, but I feel that you know. Again, it's you know the, those those wild cards are so coveted, and I know college tennis has become more international, more global. But I truly feel that the USDA does it right, and I think they should they should look out for you know developing American tennis. So I do truly feel that it should it should be given to an American singles player or doubles team. Has it become easier to sell college tennis as a developmental path to the pros throughout your tenure? 
Oh, for sure. I mean, you look at Daniel Collins, you look at Jennifer Brady and, and, you know, obviously Jamie Loeb, you know, she's one semester away from graduating, you know, and, and she's, she turned pro after her sophomore year and she was given an opportunity to, you know, get her education paid for, you know, while she was either playing pro tennis or when she was done. And she's been, you know, for the, because of COVID, she's been able to take a bunch of classes and not interrupt your pro career. You know, she qualified for the U.S. Open this year for the second time. One time she got a wild card. This time, you know, she actually qualified and and earned it. And so, but she's been she she's she's been able to do two years of of education paid for and and the development in college tennis and the resource you have. It's easier to see the players do really well after going to college for whatever how many years some four years and graduate like you know like obviously daniel collins did and and see the success that they're 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 doing and obviously the the men have done an incredible job but the women are starting to kind of you know to do their part and see the success in the pro tour after going to college Mm -hmm. and um, again as we continue to look to grow the game of college tennis i'm curious you know what do you think it's important i mean let's just start here i guess fundamentally how important is that relationship between pro tennis and the college ranks how important is it for things like the us open wild card to exist and you know again playing college matches at pro tournaments as well how valuable is that piece going to be for college tennis to continue to grow i think it's vital i really do i think it's vital i think there's um yeah you know it's hard to be playing college tennis um and and strictly just college tennis and and then and then when your your career your collegiate career is over to then start you know from square one if you have never played any pro tournaments or have or you don't have a ranking to you know it's just tough to get into these these events these days there's so many players that want to get in so if you don't have a ranking it's really difficult so to play some pro events while you're in college to get your ranking up i mean alexa graham i mean it's amazing what she's done in a short period of time. You know, she had no ranking. She did have a ranking. She lost it. You know, she played all college tournaments, but you know what she's done from the end of, you know, the May till now, she's like, like 25 and six or seven or something like that in, in, in a, in a pro career, winning a couple of titles and, and now in the top, you know, five fifty in the world, you know, so that's, that's, that's very difficult to do, but you know, Alexa has, you know, she just, she loves to travel. She loves to compete. She'll play any every week, but you know she you know has you know so has some funding you know that can help her, you know. So those are those are that's a rarity. But you know, the, the normalcy of it is, you you got to be lucky. So if you can have you know the U.S. Open wild card, you know going to a, you know top American, you know, you know back in the day they had that U.S. Open playoff for the top eight American players. That uh, if you won that tournament, you know the, you know the collegiate tournament, then it was played at the U.S. Open the second week. Uh, you're you're a big proponent of doing something the second week of the U.S. Open. They had that the second week of the U.S. Open. That was great. They had the best eight college players, women and men, and whoever won that got a wild card into the U.S. The US Open qualifying the year before, the, the next year. So that anything that the USDA can do to kind of help collegiate players start their career uh, off on the right foot is huge. And and Jamie Loeb won that, so that that freed her up coming back for her sophomore year to know that I at least have a U.S. Open qualifying wild card. So she went into that, you know, that NCAA tournament kind of not feeling the pressure of having to win it. And she won six matches, five of them in three sets, mm-hmm. you know, beat Daniel Collins in three, beat Stephanie Wagner in three, beat Carol Zhao in, uh, 
uh, in three. So, so I think to me, anything the USDA and the collegiate game can do to kind of help um, expedite, you know, their pro career would would be would be great for college tennis. I, I and, apologize. and American tennis. No, I agree, and I apologize for asking you this. I haven't asked other coaches. I feel like the coaches at the end are going to get the toughest questions, just because I'm better at this now. But who's responsible for securing those wild cards? How does college tennis go about getting more of them from the pros? Obviously, it helped when Oracle was willing to do their stuff, and I know UTR is trying to step up the mantle. But how do we get more wild cards from pro events? How do we convince them? Hey, this college tennis thing, you should be invested in it. Well, I think it I think it goes with the great communication and relationship, you know, with college tennis has with the with the USTA. I know the USTA believes in that. I mean, Kathy Rinaldi um, is 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 primarily in charge of the women's game. And she's, you know, as coaches, we need to do a really good job of communicating and relating with, you know, how good our you know our program is, you know, to Kathy and to the other USTA coaches and 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 what we're doing to develop these players to be pros. Because you know they 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 have a they have a singular focus that they want the best Americans whether they go pro out of college they go pro out of high school they go pro when they're young they that's their singular focus so we as coaches in the college game have to do our job to make sure that we are providing the resources and the developmental nature and that includes maybe saying look you know I know they they've tried to get you know pro events on college campuses and maybe that's something that we need to continue to do. You know, so the wild cards are given to the collegiate programs that are hosting these college, the, I mean, these pro events. So I think the relationship that we continue to need to continue to foster and grow with the USTA needs to continue to go that, that direction. You would also think tennis federations, USTA and others would say, hey, you know, it's going to be nice. Let's go have our superstar pupil go train on someone else's dime for four years. Let's let North Carolina pay for the training. Let's let whomever pay for the training. And then they have that home base to return to as well. I agree with you. I think those tie-ins are essential. I meant to ask this in recruiting. I'm curious when you talk about balancing your roster and ensuring you have optimal, you know, people in place to ensure everyone's developing in the most efficient way. How are you balancing knowing, you know, again, bringing in the four year players, the, the traditional recruits with knowing the plethora of options available for you right now in the transfer portal? Um, yeah, I, I think you, you know, for you, you really want to, again, bring in the, the, you know, the freshmen, you know, it's, it's, it's a balancing act because, you know, we offered, you know, some of our players a fifth year option and, and, you know, but you, you really need to uh, make sure you have a balance of, of bringing in the right players who want to be there for the right reasons and they're going to develop. And, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's, it's truly a, a special place that, you know, is, is, is important that each player feels that they are getting the best out of their game. And um, so, Again, we're we're more important in the person than, than the player. So we're always going to recruit, you know, whether a transfer or a, a incoming player, we're going to recruit the best person and not necessarily the most talented player. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a fascinating balance that every coach uh, has to juggle right now. With all of that said, against the final ones, I'm keeping you overtime here. Ranking system. I know the fall rankings were kind to the Tar Heels. I'm curious, though, if you could switch to a 12-month system that never resets but drops out the seniors as they graduate. Is that something you'd prefer? 
so you're referring to if this 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 summer results kind of like UTR thing or the summer results they count, count for- they count into it as well. It's just everything matters now. And rather than reset the rankings ever, so you know Navarro ends the year as the number one player. Her pro results probably keep her there if you factor all of those things in. But it's just the idea of we're not re- you know new September. It's not new set of rankings. We carry over last year's rankings into this season. I think it would. I think there has to be a you know again. I want I want the rankings to reflect the best players. And and right now, I know we're kind in the rankings, but mm-hmm. it's not truly indicative of what is accurate to me. The the two the two rankings that are not, in my opinion, that are quite accurate are the preseason one because they don't include the freshmen and and the first one in in January or end of November which is this one because there's not a lot of data okay I'm all for any any ranking that will will have the most accurate results and it has the most data so I would be in favor of a of a of a year-long kind of like a uh, you know a pro golf ranking or a pro tennis ranking that kind of just keep rolls over um but um, they, you know, it needs it needs to be accurate and it needs it needs to be all encompassing. I know they would it would really hurt the freshmen, okay, mm-hmm. coming in because they would not be able, you know. But it kind of hurts the freshmen um, to start with. But the problem with the freshmen is they get the same opportunities in the fall starting over as everybody else does. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's okay to disadvantage one class on behalf of the other three classes, plus that one class will reap the benefits moving on. I also think, again, let's have the rankings be accurate. Let's include UTR. Let's find a way to include pro events. There are smart people very good at coding who could find a formula that works for everyone. Uh, That said, last two questions for you. A, uh, NCAA individual tournament, you referenced it. I'm asking every coach. Consensus seems to be building that it's going to be moved at some point, tried to play in the fall. Do you agree with that sentiment? Where are you at with the NCAA individuals? Well, I'm an Alex Grushkin geek. I like to listen to your podcast. So I've heard, <laughs> I've heard your your assessment moving it to the second week of the U.S. Open. The only reason why I would be in favor of that would be if, um, again, they still would give the wild card to the winner. Okay, for the next year. Okay, so that's the only way. I, I don't want to ever lose the wild card. Okay, to um, to the U.S. Open. Okay. I would be I would be in favor of it going to the fall, as long as they can um, find a formula, okay, to get the best players in the tournament. I would not be in favor of a conference champion automatically getting in and diluting the quality of the field. Um, so I, I do not. To me, it's too important. And I, also, the fall, I, I would be in favor of 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 including the summer results and the fall okay to to go towards um the um the you know to have more data to have the players selected the ncaa tournament so then you got your players playing whether pro tournaments or or ita events okay where you know right now the ita summer circuit is basically it's it's you know it's a minor league system okay the not the best players don't play but if they knew they played that you know a circuit with the idea that they could help them get in the NCAA tournament, then then you're talking about really quality, uh, you know, matches and events, and and the data would be much more conclusive to be able to select the players for the NCAA tournament. No, the summer circuit would matter that much more. I agree with you. If you move it to the fall, 
Um, and that's an interesting thing as well because you already have the spring season, the fall season. Do you need a summer season as well for these athletes? Really put the burden on them. But it's fa- it's all fascinating to me. Uh, with that said, substitutions. Are you in on that? If we add that to the dual match format, we're the only sc- uh, only sport without any sort of substitution system. I have been calling for this for the longest time for the last 10 years. They need, they need, we, we need to have one substitution in doubles and one substitution in singles. It keeps everybody engaged. Um, uh, to me, it, the players who are playing, they need to know that their attitude matters, their effort matters, and the players on the bench need to be ready to go. And so to me, It'd be like baseball. You, 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 when you substitute out, you can't bring them back in. I would be absolutely 100% favorite. I think it would really enhance our sport and it'd be exciting for the fans. I agree with you. My question would be, and I think the question that's often weighed, do gimmicks like that compromise development for these players? No, because to me, if, if, you're, if you have a player out there and, they're, and, they're, and, and it's a bad matchup, okay, and they're, and they're not doing what they need to do, okay, you can just come come back to them and say, look, the reason why I pulled you was because we've been asking you to have more variety in your game and you're not doing it. We asked you to come forward and come to the net. This, you're, you cannot beat this player unless you do X, Y, or Z, okay? And we're putting somebody in that at least gives us, okay, a chance to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with the sentiment. That's why I keep proposing it to all of you coaches. Simultaneous start. In order to fix the TV issues or, you know, some sort of, I I guess, again, shortening the product even further. Is that something you think about or are you done with that argument? I'm done with that argument. I I think, I think uh, to me, we have a good product. You know, we're, you know, we have, you know, TV asked us to be under three hours. I think, you know, no ads solved it. Um, The one set doubles is very exciting. Um, I still personally feel um, and I'm in the minority here. I truly, truly feel that singles should be first, doubles should be second. I, to me, I mentioned our, our run in the NCAs. The most exciting thing happened, you know, for me is the NCAA finals when we had doubles to finish, and you're, you got two players working together. It's a team environment rather than at the end of the match you got one player all by herself or himself. To me, you know, you you still you still have the opportunity to shorten your your matches if you win. You know. Um, I would personally feel I would be okay with um, playing singles first and all doubles being one set, okay, no ad, uh, all matches counting, okay? So you can lose a match being up 4-2. If you can't win one of those, you don't deserve to win anyways. Um, so uh, I would – so, you know, the knock on it is, you know, you know what? You're not going to play as many doubles matches. I, I still think you'd play so many more doubles matches. If you win 5-1, okay, you don't deserve to play doubles anyways. Okay. So, you know, the five, one, six, zero matches would be, would be blowouts. The match is over. TV's done in two hours or under and, and that's it. So I, I truly feel that doubles, even though it's exciting to start, it'd be more exciting to finish. It's an argument that resonates with me as well. Um, all right. With all of that said, final question for you. And you mentioned this notion, is it a rebuilding year in Carolina when you lose three seniors like you do? Well, obviously, we have your preseason number three. Coaches have you up there in the preseason poll as well. There's a ton of talent on the roster, and you know, you've already seen it manifest itself in the fall. This team is capable of doing special things. I don't want to ask what are your expectations for this group, but I will say this. What do you want to see this group accomplish? Again, still very young team. 
What do you want to see this group accomplish together in 2022? Well, you're talking about players that have never played certain positions before. Okay. You know, I mean, you got Cam and Scotty uh, or Fiona and Riley who've never played one or two. Okay. On a regular basis. Um, you got Carson who's brand, brand spanking new to the college scene. Um, and then you got, you got you know, Annika and Casey um, kind of vying for, you know, you know, regular spots. Um, and, and, and Allie's taken on, you know, such a senior leadership role that she's never, you know, been in. So, you know, th there's so many things that are up for grabs that have never, you know, so the, the, you know, the expectation um, is not really there for me at all. It's more of this, the excitement and the hopes to see how our players take on these new opportunities. I use the word opportunities because to me, this is what this year is about for everybody's opportunity to show what we can do when, you know, maybe, you know, I, I know people are not counting us out because they, you have a still kind of a formidable team, especially how well we did individually. But the whole, as you know, the dual season is so different than the individual season. And when you're playing, you know, playing for, you know, your, your team on the line, when it's three all and the matches on the line, how, do, how does your individual success matter? It doesn't, it's all about what's best for the team. What are you going to do? And, you know, we have incredible competitors like Cam and Scotty and Fiona and Riley and everybody, you know, the, to me, the, the, the competition is what we thrive on. And, and, we talk to our players all the time that, you know, what, I want you to put yourself in that mindset of, of being the last match on the court and, and put yourself under pressure in practice to, to prepare for those situations. And if you have enjoyment and you have um, appreciation and gratitude, you know, to that you put in the work, you know, to, to, to prepare for that situation. Cause if you haven't, and you're in that situation, you're going to, you're going to, you're, you're going to find a lot of failure um, and, and struggle that you're, you're not, you're, you're not used to. I think to, to me, our players, they work hard. They try and put themselves in those pressure situations. And I'm, I'm excited to see them take on these new opportunities, uh, come this spring. Doubleheader on Saturday against Elon and Appalachian state doubleheader on Tuesday. After that, Georgia, the following Saturday, obviously you've got the kickoff weekend, but before that you're going to Michigan, you know, the, the rigorous ACC schedule as well. There's no doubt your young team's going to have the opportunity to get tested. And of course, I think every college tennis fan would say you've, if you are a college tennis fan over the past decade, you watch some sort of impressive high stakes, North Carolina match and, He's been at the helm of all of those matches, Coach Brian Calvis. So, Coach, as always, immensely grateful for you tolerating all of my nonsense. Appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Uh, be safe, be healthy, and obviously good luck to your team this season. Well, thank you. And uh, it's an incredible uh, undertaking that you have done to, to, co uh, to, to talk with every Power 5 men's and women's coach. And it's been a pleasure. And I, I enjoy listening to many of the, your, your talks because – you're very insightful, and the coaches, I learned from each of them, and, and um, I really appreciate what you're doing for college tennis. It's amazing, so thank you so much. Well, I appreciate that. I go to the bar, and I talk 1992 Notre Dame tennis. No one talks back, and so at least here, <laughs> someone talks back. But, Coach, I appreciate your kind words, and again, be safe, be healthy. We will talk more soon. All right. Take care. Thanks, Alex. Yep.